Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Take a minute to go to therealrescue.com to check out these and other great deals from our sponsors here at The Real Rescue. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Access. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And RescueSwimmershop.com, official high-quality apparel featuring the silhouette. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG wireless ICS system can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere at any time on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise-canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircrafts worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S dot com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering another 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment. All you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. And 15 years ago, photographer and Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 526, Chris Razok, created an iconic photograph. This photograph depicted the silhouette of a helicopter rescue swimmer reaching down for an outstretched hand in need against the American flag backdrop. The image went viral and became a symbol worldwide for the rescue community and the people they helped. 
Its wild popularity inspired Chris to launch RescueSwimmerShop.com, a web store offering official high-quality apparel featuring his evocative image, The Silhouette. T-shirts, hats, patches, and stickers featuring The Silhouette are available at RescueSwimmerShop.com, including the flagship design, So Others May Live. Follow Chris and his story on Instagram with the handle at Rescue Swimmer Shop. And if you are a rescue swimmer, support rescue swimmers, or just tell people you are one at the bar, this gear is definitely for you. When you get to the website, RescueSwimmerShop.com, enter the promo code, all lowercase, one word, rescue, R-E-S-C-U-E, for 10% off your order. Up next, we don't just have one guy telling stories, we've got two, which is awesome. So in this episode, we've got two guys from the Belgium Air Force, both rescue divers, and both of them come with some just incredible stories as what they're doing in Belgium. So please welcome our next guest, Mr. Kurt DeBook and Philip Windows. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. I have got a first. I love our first here at The Real Rescue because when I get a first, we get to hear all these cool, badass stories from all over the globe. And these guys, Mr. Kurt the Book. Huh? Yeah? All right, I got it right. Correct, and correct. Mr. Philip Windles. And they are yes. SAR search and rescue divers from the Belgium Air Force. What is up, brothers? How are you? Hello, Jason. Hello, Jason. Man, I am stoked you guys came on today. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited about talking about some of these stories you guys do out there. So thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Um, all right. So let's start out right from the get-go. Let's find out a little bit about you guys. So Kurt, if you don't mind, let me start with you. A little bit of background about you and how you got into the Belgium Air Force and into rescue diving. Okay, so uh, my name is Kurt de Boek. I'm 49 years old. Joined the military when I was 17. That was in 1990, so a long time ago. And before that, I used to do uh, uh, competition swimming. And, you know, in those days when we wanted to earn some money and you got the right age, we became a lifeguard. Uh, so we could work during the holidays and in the weekends. When I entered the, the military, I became a physical training instructor. Nice. And in that kind of workplace, I could become uh, uh, an instructor in lifesaving. So when I come, came from competition swimming to an instructor in lifesaving, the step was quite easy to come to try to become a search and rescue diver. So that was in 2010 when I started uh, my, my training and I became a search and rescue diver in 2012. So actually, well, 10 years ago. Wow, that's not too bad. So you've been doing this for a little while. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. Right? Almost 11 years of this year. Yeah. Cool. So out of curiosity, what was your time for your 500 meter? 500 meter? We don't swim any 500 
meters. We swim 400 or 1500 oh. meters or 100 uh, meters. Okay, all right, whatever. All right, let me. What's your? What's your? Let's go with. What you want to know? Meters. 100 meter was it was 54, but that's a long time ago, right? 54 seconds for 100 meters. Good night. <laughs> you know what? I might be able to just stay a little bit behind you. <laughs> not anymore, Jason. Not anymore. <laughs> no, no. It'll be you and I. Well, I'll get in the pool with you. I'm, st I'm not scared. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I don't swim. In, I don't swim under the minute anymore. That's a long time. No. Okay. All right. You know what? I don't think I swim under a minute anymore. Man, right. that is hauling. <laughs> Good for you. And then uh, I know you said to make money as a lifeguard, but we all know it was to pick up girls. I mean, it's it's all good. Oh uh, well, well, okay, you got me there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Awesome. Right on. Well, that's that's killer. How you got into it? All right, Mr. Philip. A little bit yes. of background about you and how you got into the Belgium Air Force and then into rescue diving. Well, for me, uh, I came in uh, the military and the armed forces as a very young guy. I went to school in, uh, in like you say, your high school. You can, you could do, uh, you can do it in, in the military. I did this. Then afterwards, I was an NCO, a sergeant in the protection and security of air bases. Uh, afterwards, uh, I applied also for physical training instructor. And then... Uh, I, I arrived, I did my first course diving in 93, because before that, all SAR divers were Air Force PTIs, Air Force Physical Training Instructors. It is a, a little bit a legacy. And I was the last one from that PTIs in the Air Force who became uh, SAR divers. So I applied, I think, somewhere in, uh, in the 90s and... Uh, uh, I was admitted in the diving school, uh, in the uh, Armed Forces Diving School in 93. So from 93 on until 2021, for 28 years, I was a SAR diver in the 40 squadron because uh, in the Air Force, we are, we are the only SAR squadron in the Air Force. It's the 40 squadron in Coxede. And I stayed over there for 28 years. And I did all different from beginning as a star diver to an instructor star diver chief instructor star diver and i ended as a chief star diver uh, in the squadron wow well done what a great career 28 years how's the body holding up you doing all right yes sometimes it's uh, <laughs> difficult getting up in the morning <laughs> but again oh. yeah i uh, you feel it uh, 28 years gets in your clothes so uh, you uh, you feel it sometimes, eh? elbows, knees, uh, but the spirit is uh, it's still the same. I love it. I love it. Um, you you made a comment about being in high school in the military. Yes. Is, is uh, that I I didn't, I've never like I know like we have similar stuff in the U.S. where you can go to like a ROTC while you're in high school, but it's not high school in the military. Yeah. I don't I don't when, think it is anyway. Not that I'm aware when of. I was uh, a young guy, uh, you could admit, uh, you could ask to go in the military, in the military school, it's the NCO school, and you could enter that from your 15 years on. You did three years, and then you went to uh, your specialty, but it was possible as an NCO technician in another school, or as a non-technician that I did, uh, you could enter at 15 years uh, of age. Wow, man, that is pretty cool. 
I didn't know that. And both of you guys were physical instructors. So yes, the PT instructors that that's awesome. Yes. So train personal, yeah. like kind of like a personal trainer is what I'm gathering. Well, we yeah. did the same school we, in Belgium. There is only one military school that uh, provides that, uh, that train uh, physical training instructors. It's not like personal trainer, but it is, uh, especially to train, uh, like, uh, section of peoples or uh, 30 guys in military sports awesome wow all right so now a couple questions that before i get into some of your first rescues and some of the other memorable rescues give us a little brief about like what the rescue diver is because and i i know from u.s coast guard so i'm going to base it off that u.s coast guard we are surface swimmers only so we don't do tanks um we're not diving down and our training um is pretty intense in the pool so what is the well i want to get into training later but what do you guys what is your job description like is it just surface swimmer or what do you it's do? actually the same as the rescue swimmer except that where the rescue swimmer stops and on the surface of the water we go down as well if it's necessary we, we have always our diving gear in the helicopter and we dive during a mission if it's necessary Wow. So we're all qualified master divers. Okay. Wow. Straight up master divers. Oh, that is yes. cool. Yes, because we have to be able to dive alone. So we are the only uh, military divers also that can, uh, in, an, uh, in a case of a search and rescue operation, who can dive alone. So we first do the recce. You have to be uh, adult enough and uh, mature enough to know how far you can go. So, but we are allowed to dive alone in a search and rescue operation. Wow. Oh, that's a trip. I didn't know. That's pretty cool. Um, and that's pretty cool for multiple reasons. Now, like I'm a, I'm a paddy dive guy, you know, like I, I think I got it off the beach right here, but they were like, never leave your buddy. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, first time I go under, I'm like kicking and he's like, can't keep up. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I need my buddy. But you guys can dive alone. That's wow. That's intense. That's awesome. Cool. Have you have you guys had to do that in rescues? Like actually dive alone? Yes. I'd yes. be really wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh! If I didn't tell you guys I'm excited to have you here, I am stoked to have you here. This is awesome. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what. Let me, Philip. Let me get to you. You you've done this for a long time. Uh, Twenty eight years. Do you remember your very first rescue? Yes, I remember him. It was a, a casualty on a on a boat. So don't don't uh, uh, know. Uh, you have to know that Belgium has a very small uh, beach line. It's only sixty five kilometers. But in front of Belgium, we have one of the most dense traffics of cargo ships in the world. Everything that has to go to Northern Europe or to the States uh, uh, will navigate between the UK. France and Belgium, so we have a very dense transport. So some of our, a lot of our uh, rescues will be on big cargo ships. So the first one I did was on a cargo ship where we had to go, and I said, "So okay, somebody is ill. You have to go over there." So we arrived on the ship with the medic, and what did we what did we find? Somewhere in a little room, a very a fat guy, a Bulgarian, and uh, it's a we, fat guy. <laughs> a fat guy, Bulgarian, and uh, I, I looked to the guy, okay, what, what's happening here? Okay, we arrived here, and he was dead. So we asked to the guys, yeah, when, when, when uh, did he die? Ah, okay, we cannot, we have to reanimate. Uh, 
do reanimation. So we began to reanimate the guy, but of course, afterwards we knew he was already for hours, for hours dead. We took him, we put him on the ground. I started to reanimate. I broke immediately his uh, bone here, his, uh, the your sternum. Pets, uh, sternum. Yep. Immediately after the, the third time, his sternum was broken because there was no tension anymore on the on the muscles. It was a very fat guy. He already all the fluids were already out of the 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 body. So we uh. had to transport via on our little stretcher. We had to pull him. I think the guy was something like uh, you know, 115, 120 kilos. I think it's what <laughs> 200, 230 pounds or something oh, like this. Yeah, at least. So from two, three levers, three levers on little staircases. It took us a half hour sweating and and pulling for what and initially a dead guy, of course. Eh? So we, uh, I did the hosting uh, with the stretcher. We continued to do the reanimation in the helicopter because you have to do it until we arrived in the hospital. And I, I, I still know every time we, we did reanimation, fluids came out. The guy was, I think, eight, nine hours dead. But that, that was my first uh, scramble, my first rescue I ever did. That was the first one. Wow. All right. For clarification, reanimation is CPR. CPR, so, uh, CPR. Cardio resuscitation. Yep. That's yes, yes. so reanimation. All right, if you guys call it reanimation, that's cool. I just want to make sure all my buddies in the States are like, CPR. oh, yeah, CPR. CPR, CPR, CPR sorry. CPR. Got it. <laughs> to reanimate, not to animate. <laughs> <laughs> no, CPR, oh. CPR. I love it. Fluids coming out of every orifice, and you're like, yeah, this is gross. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to have a first case. Man. All right, Kurt, let's come to you. Do you remember yeah. your very first case? Yes, I do. But actually, it's not that as spectacular as Philip. On, uh, but I do remember it, not because of the intervention itself, because to be honest, I don't even remember if it was a simple pickup or a stretcher pickup. But what was special about it, it is that I was under training. I, was, I still wasn't a qualified search and rescue diver yet. And that's why I'm looking at Philip right now. He probably has no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, we were on a, on, a, on a training mission. I was still a student and he was my you, instructor. You and him? Oh! Yeah. <laughs> he was my instructor. And suddenly we get a call in, there was an intervention and they asked can you do the intervention? And I said, okay, we can do it. We still have enough fuel. And then what normally happens is the UT, the under training, puts himself in the back of a helicopter and just uh, watches and learns and for the rest doesn't touch anything or do anything. And it's the, the instructor diver who becomes the, uh, the search and rescue diver and he will execute the mission. And in this case, he looked at me and he said, uh, what, what's the mission? Okay, you have it. And I was like, what? You have it. And he just put himself in the back. I said, what, what do you mean? You have it, it's your mission. But I wasn't qualified yet. So I wasn't prepared mentally to do anything from a, like a search and rescue mission. So it wasn't the most difficult uh, scramble intervention I did, but it was quite stressful because you have your instructor looking all over, all over your shoulder. So he came down on the ship with me and all he did was, uh, what are you going to do? Okay. What are you going to do now? Okay. Uh, so that was my first uh, search and mission, search and rescue mission. <laughs> All right, Philip, did you qualify him after that? Did you check him off? I don't know, but uh, <laughs> no, normally not. Normally not. I'm not uh, the one who will uh, cut corners. Uh, no. you know. <laughs> All right, in that case, uh, Kurt, how did you do? Did you do all right with that one? 
I, I qualified, yes. yes yeah, yes. okay, good. Uh, he didn't look happy, but he was happy anyway. <laughs> Instructors <laughs> never look happy. <laughs> wow, what a first case. And with your instructor, man, that, that's pretty awesome. Um, another question, medical training. I, what do you guys go through for medical training? Are you guys full paramedics or? No, no, no. We have, a, we, we have an uh, emergency nurse on board. Oh, wow. So cool. if, we go, yeah, if we go on, on, on board of a ship, we, we're always two of us. We have the search and rescue diver and we have the, the, uh, the medic, uh, a paramedic or an, an emergency nurse who comes down with us. And they are responsible for, of course, we are qualified as lifeguards and we have basic uh, uh, paramedic training. Also, we, we assist in CPR, for instance, and we assist the, the medic itself. But the, the, the person who is responsible on board for, for that is, uh, is the medic himself. Wow, very cool. All right, so now I'm going to go one more question before I get into a couple more stories. You, uh, what aircraft do you guys flying on currently? An H-90. Oh, the H-90? Oh, big aircraft. So you guys are flying with a crew of five, two pilots yeah. up front, the winch operator. Is that what you guys call them, the winch operator? Oh, cabin operator. Cabin yes. operator. Oh, okay, cabin operator, uh, mm -hmm. and then the, the paramedic or the flight nurse. And then the yeah. rescue diver. Yes. Wow, that's cool, man. I I love a five person crew. I think it's amazing. Well, um, we used to be six persons. Yes. We come from the seeking helicopter, and there was still a a, a navigator inside of the helicopter. Extra. Which uh, what was that helicopter that you guys? Seeking, seeking, right? seeking helicopter. Oh, the Sea King. Oh yeah. Yes. That's right. The Sea King did have an extra guy up front. I totally yes. forgot about that. That was actually in the one of the videos you had sent me um, yeah, when they made the movie about you guys, which yes. is Philip. Yeah, you were in that movie. Woo! Yes. Uh, yes, thank you. <laughs> hey, uh, you know what? We're gonna tell Butch Fleiss to. Uh, he's got it. You know, he's got competition now because Butch Fleiss was in the Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Philip, you, you've got. Or we're gonna have to just tell him he's got to run for his money. <laughs> yeah, of course. Let's go, Hollywood. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So let me come back to you, Philip. There are a couple of cases that you mentioned to me that you remember. Um, and, and one of them being a capsized, what you thought was a fishing vessel yes. that you guys get called out on. What was that? So uh, I think somewhere in the end of 95, 1995. Uh, we were called out for, uh, they found the ship capsized uh, early in the morning. And it, uh, what happened when we went over there, it was not a fishing boat. It was a dredging boat from, uh, I think, 85 meters long and 15 Holy meters wide. And it capsized during the night. So uh, eventually when another ship saw it in the, uh, early in the morning, it was already 10 hours capsized. So when we arrived there, hours. yes, it was a, a big ship. It, uh, it lay minimum five, four or five meters out of the water. Uh, and okay, the, the pilot says, okay, guys, and the fact that uh, we knew already that it was a capsized ship, we were at that time two divers already in the squadron. The, the pilot says, okay, I will take two divers, take your gear, and we see uh, when we arrive there with the fishing boat, we will see what happened. So we arrived, we saw the ship, whoa. Okay, they winched us down. Are you ready? They winched us down with our tanks, air tanks, 
And I still know, I noticed uh, when you got in the water, the smell of fuel, a lot of fuel on the water. And I said to oh. my buddy, I said, we are, don't, we are not going, going to do some crazy things here. So uh, the first thing we went down up as deep as possible because the cap ship is capsized. That means the bridge will be the deepest point. When we entered uh, the bridge, we immediately found the captain uh, dead. He was floating uh, against the, the floor because the ceiling at that moment was the floor because it's capsized. We took him out. We gave him uh, on the surface to a rescue boat. We dived again. We tried to, we began to search every room on every level because there were three levels. Uh, don't, thus you have to take an account. You have to push every door. You have to put, put some pressure on it to get in a room. After 40 minutes, our blocks were empty. So our tanks, we came up, they gave us new tanks. We dived again. And after uh, 10 minutes, we found four guys underwater in a big air bubble. No way. Uh, yes, they were already sitting there for 10 hours. 10 uh, hours underwater in an air underwater bubble? Underwater in a big air <laughs> bubble. Uh, oh my God. The, that bubble was huge. It was almost a total uh, room. Uh, the guys uh, already went uh, 10 hours there. Two of them wrote their, already their will on a paper. Uh, they were uh, over there. They were sitting in their survival suit. So I talked to them underwater. I talked to them like we are talking now. And I said to them, you, are you aware that you have to leave with us on our air tanks? And they looked at us, How? yes, we are going to take you to the different corridors, to the different levels, on the water, on our bottles, outside the, the boat. So we gave them very quickly a briefing in two, three minutes. And I still remember I took the first guy, the youngest guy. Uh, they had to take off the survival suit because it's too much buoyancy. They right. were in their underwear and in a T-shirt on our second uh, uh, first stage uh, breathing system. And I took him underwater. I said, do you know where you are going? No, no. I said, how long do you already work on the ship? Two years. So I said to them, to him, you know where we are going. But as the ship was capsized 180 degrees, he was disorientated. So I took him underwater. We went to the different uh, levels and we went out. It took us like... Uh, two, three minutes of diving up and he, I gave him to another uh, rescue boat. We went in and I think within 25 minutes, we took all four guys underwater on our uh, air tanks out of the ship to the surface. Oh my gosh. That is crazy. In the, that... in the North Sea. So it's not blue water. It's not no. Curaçao. No visibility. It's, not, it's not the Mediterranean. Eh? You have maximum one meter of visibility. Oh my God, that's crazy. I can't believe you found that many people like in a, inside the ship, that's. We found five, one dead, of course, the, the, the captain. On the bridge, captain, the yeah. Point. And then a, a few levels above, like normally under, but yeah. above uh, the bridge, we found uh, four guys in an air bubble in one of uh, the levels. Wow. What? That is crazy to me. That wow! All right, so I, I have I have multiple questions out of this. Uh, so when you guys go diving like, into a structure like that, do you tie like a piece of line or something on? So yes, no. When it's a big ship, yeah, uh, you will do it. 
but but in a in a like a, a fishing boat, you will not do it because it's small. Okay. Uh, but normally, yes, you would take a, a line with you. Uh, body line, a body line, a long safety bit, line, a safety line that is on a row, like yeah. it's it's like 40, 50 meters. You go inside, wow. but what is most important that you don't look to the distance that you do, but what you agreed with the captain of the helicopter with your pilot. If you go down, because there is no communication between the helicopter and you, you go down the ship and you are gone. Yeah. So, but if, for instance, if you say to the pilot, once I go down, stopwatch is in, I will come up within 15 minutes. So you have to stay, watch your watch, your diving computer, that you come up certainly after 15 minutes. So they know you are, you, you are doing well. Uh, if not, if you stay too long on the water, they will uh, raise the alarm to get other divers uh, in place. Wow, okay. The helicopter is actually our diving platform yes. at that moment. That is awesome. You, you just got a helicopter just like chilling out, waiting for you. That's amazing. Yeah, he, has to, he has to wait, <laughs> he cannot fly away. No. If you are diving, he has to stay on the same level, uh, the, the same place, because he knows that you will go get out uh, on the same way you came in. So he, ha he has to stay over there. And I, had, I have colleagues of mine who are also uh, uh, retired away. They, they did it at night. Eh? The ship is laying around. They go in at night and they come up at the same spot. Eh? Holy smoke. That is, that is crazy. That is awesome. That, that is just amazing to me is what that is. Wow. All right, so next question. Um, with diving, so here's what I know of diving. And, and again, a, you know, basic, um, basic level, whatever you want to call it, recreational. Um, safety stops, like how do you, I mean, I assume you get all your safety stops coming up. Is that something that you worry about? And then in your increments, follow-up question, how long are you staying at the surface before you re-enter to go into your dive? But well, safety stops is not really a problem in these cases because we don't go down that deep. These are ships who are capsized. If it's a, a search for a, a diver, lost diver, for instance, that's something else. Uh, that's something else. Yes, on a, on a wreck, which happens also. Then we just do a, a, a single dive. And if okay. it's necessary to do multiple dives, there will be other divers coming on the spot. If it's a wreckage, it's, if it's a capsized ship, you can do multiple dives. You can go in and out, like Philip just told you, uh, um, retrieving multiple uh, victims. That is possible because you go like maybe maximum 10 meters, yeah. 10 meters underwater, and you don't stay that long underwater. Yeah. Uh, when I did Got my it. diving location okay. in the capsized ship, we stayed in there for like 30 minutes, but the ship was a small fishing vessel, so we did the entire uh, boats and when we left the boat it was finished it was a single dive but if you go deeper then it's a single dive if it's just the capsized ship you can do multiple diving yeah. that's the idea of it the theory got it yeah so when when for instance a diver is missing or two divers are missing in recreational diving on the north sea they are on a wreck they say okay the guys went down like for instance the wreck is at uh, 30 meters or 35 meters uh, you will go down on the same rope as they were. You do a brief search, you come up, and it's finished. Eh? The other wow. divers will come in. Eh? And we wow. take a guideline with us. Yeah. To the wreck, we take a guideline with us. And we attach the line on the wreckage. 
And then you can follow the line. The rescue divers already did. And the second team will see, okay, they did, they did this part of the wreck. We will do another part. So Very don't forget, cool. in, in, in front of the North Sea, you have uh, a lot of wrecks from the First and the Second World War. Uh, oh, yeah. A lot of them who are also very known as diving spots. But uh, yeah, every year right, we have some casualties on wrecks. It's uh, don't forget the North Sea. A lot of current. It's a sea green, uh, not so warm water with a lot of tides. The current is very. You only have maximum one hour of diving. Your diving window is maximum an hour. So uh, some guys guys are missing, uh, and then it's if you dive on it, uh, some wrecks are on 35 to 40 meters. You wow. do a brief a brief search, and then you come back to the surface. That's the difficulty in the North Sea when you do a search and rescue diving mission for a wreck is the divers, the recreational divers, were diving during the window. When you arrive as a search and rescue diver, you're always outside of the window, which yes. means that the current is always way too, way too high. So that's a bit the difficulty of the Sometimes the you, you dive, you go down, and you have one and a half to two knots of current. Eh? So you have really have to pull you, you have to pull yourself down to the wreck, shelter in the wreck or next to the wreck to do your search. Eh? <laughs> Not always the best conditions. <laughs> Yeah, definitely not. Man, you guys, this, this is insane. This is awesome. I, I'm loving all of this. All right. So, Philip, if you don't mind, let's let's go to a, another one because you had uh, another, like, a fishing vessel in um, Force 9 Winds. Yes. That, so, that was... I think it's only some something like six years ago, six, seven years ago, in the beginning of the NH90, so we were transferring from the seeking to the NH90. So at night we were called out uh, for a fishing vessel. And we were very surprised because it was force nine of wind. What is a fishing vessel doing over there? So the information that we got was uh, no steering anymore, no uh, motor, no power anymore. So when we arrived uh, at that time, luckily we already had, already had the night vision goggles uh, to find the ship. And it was, uh, when we looked at it, a wooden boat, uh, not, not very tall. We were saying, wow, what is happening here? Uh, so the cabin operator, after a lot of attempts, uh, pulling me on the ship, putting me on the ship, pulling me off again, throwing me on the ship, pulling me off in the water again, after like five minutes, after four or five times hitting the ship, I was on the ship. <laughs> I immediately used uh, the Highland. I had the Highland with me. We immediately did the Highland procedure. Uh, I gave uh, one of the crew, I gave the highlight, I said, stay here. I went then to the bridge, I found five guys. Uh, five guys, okay, uh, very odd. Uh, okay, wooden fishing boat, uh, very weak, uh, weak structure. Uh, at that moment, when I got outside again on the deck, I saw what, what is happening here. The wire, the hoist cable was around the ship on the, some structures. I said, what is happening here? I took it off, it, the rope disappeared up to the hoist. What happened? The hoist cable was damaged. So what I didn't know that the hoist cable was damaged, it was the ship, I think somewhere like four or five waves of four or five meter. I said, what is happening here? Uh, okay, they, at that time, a Dutch from Holland, a Dutch rescue boat was coming in. Uh, they told me, yes, uh, the helicopter cannot 
uh, retrieve you. He would put on his lights to show some uh, lights on the ship, and we will come and get you. So a rescue, big rescue boat against a little wooden fishing boat. So it was an adventure. Eventually, I could throw the five men to the rescue boat. At that time, I was able to jump from the little fishing boat onto the rescue boat. Okay, the Dutch guys, we speak the same language, uh, Flemish Dutch. Afterwards, we went to a military harbor. It took us like 45 minutes. Uh, the ambulance, the, the rescue services were there. Uh, they took them to the hospital. And for us, the, the story was finished. Afterwards, the fishing boat stranded on a, on a beach in Holland. And what did they discover on the boat? 150 kilos of coke drugs. So for me, I, I missed the drugs. If not, I was early early retirement with 150 <laughs> or, kilos of coke. It, it was either that or early to jail. I'm not sure so early to the jail. So, but again, probably a second. You, you, risk, you risk your life to get five guys from a fishing boat. You think, okay, they need help because one of the guys was wounded a little bit on his head. And then afterwards, you hear it were uh, drug traffickers. Uh, perhaps at that time, they had a rendezvous with a big ship in the sea that they had to be at that date, at that point, to, to retrieve the coke. But, okay, they could not know that the weather was so bad. So the, the fishing boat... Uh, uh, was uh, stuck so you see uh, yeah it's an adventure huh? <laughs> I, this is why i love this job so much you never know what you're gonna get <laughs> yes <laughs> oh my goodness all right kurt let me come back to you uh because you have a rescue which was kind of interesting with a bunch of refugees what is that well you know belgium is just next to uh to France, where you have Calais, Calais going to, to England. So a lot of refugee, refugees try to make the pass from Calais to, uh, to England. But with the current, they end up quite often in our region as well. Now, we'd also do a big part of, of France as well. So we were called in to do, uh, it, was, it was clear weather, we call it B-Day. So that means uh, nice weather, uh, calm sea, and a lot of boats, they know it. A lot of boats try to get to the other side. So we called in to, to, to look for boats. And what we do is normally is that we, we localize the boats and then call them in for the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard goes to the boats and then do whatever they do. You know, they put them back on land, uh, see everybody is okay. This, is, this happens a lot during certain times uh, of the year where the sea is calm. Now, in this case, we flew out to a section, a region. We got uh, a search zone. And our co-pilot said on our way, hey, didn't I saw uh, a couple of people on the buoy? And we were like, what buoy? So we, we made a turn and it was a, quite a high buoy, but very small. And there were two people in a very small spot on top on the waves. They were going uh, forward, backward. And we were like, oh my God, what are those guys doing there? So we said, okay, let's get them out. They were waving to us. Let's try to get them out. It wasn't that, that easy because it was moving a lot. Yeah. So uh, it was quite tricky to get both of them out of that, the top of that buoy, but we managed to, to do so. And when our medic took their temperature, they, they only had 29 degrees Celsius, which is like, what, 85 degrees Fahrenheit body yeah. temperature. So That's we really decided good, to by the way. You guys, are, you guys are doing this math really good, going between metric and imperial. That's pretty good. <laughs> I got to give you credit. So Holy we decided God. to take those two uh, to the hospital first. 
Um, when we dropped them off at the hospital, well, we tried to localize another boat because they said, we, we asked them, what were you doing on the buoy? Uh, our boat was sinking. And we were like, oh, okay, where? But they don't have a clue where they are, uh, somewhere out at sea. So we flew out at sea again and we tried to localize them. We found them finally. Now already the engine was broke off because those little boats are trying to get to the other side. There are too many people in it. Uh, I'm telling, I'm talking about between 30 and 60 people sometimes in boats that are equipped oh. for maybe 10, 10 persons maximum. So their engine was already broken off. Uh, it was only semi-inflated. Uh, there were people hanging onto the boat, but already in the water. And when they saw our, our helicopter, they started jumping in the water. They had small life jackets on, but was very clear that they couldn't really swim. So even with a small life jacket, they were in complete panic and they were not really fighting, but they were swimming one on top of the other and pushing the other one backwards. So trying to, they saw me coming out of the helicopter because we decided, okay, the guys who are in the water, the Coast Guard was already contacted and they were on their way with a bigger ship. But uh, we, we had to get the guys who were in the water out of the water, but they were pushing, you know, guys were pushing each other underwater and backwards just to, to be the first one to get to me. So we really had to make a decision. Okay, not there are four or five together. Let's take the one who's alone on the left because it, otherwise you as the search and rescue person uh, can get into the water into, into trouble as well. So that was quite, uh, quite hectic at the moment. And the people were so panicked. I remember one guy who I didn't really have to use a horse collar. He was so tense, he took my, my body and I had really had to tear him off my body in the, uh, in, in the helicopter. So, so, so much panic in those, in those people's eyes. Wow. Uh, Jason, don't forget also, for, if we're talking about water here in the North Sea, the water temperature would never get warmer than 20 degrees Celsius. What's what I'll say? Uh, that's a that's a high peak summer, 2021 max. You can have here like uh, most of the time of the year. We're talking about 12, 30 degrees. Yeah, like yeah. for instance, Cold. the water now is is 10 degrees at the, the wow. beginning of July. That's the beginning of the summer. The water will be 15 degrees. Oh, so that's cold. if you fall here into the water. You will get very quickly hypothermic if you cannot swim by hyperventilation. You will drown very easily. So yeah. uh, that's why people are falling into the water here. It's a struggle for life. Eh? We will never get like in the Bahamas or somewhere else, like 29 yeah. degrees. It, it, it doesn't happen here. So off the top of my head, uh, 10 degrees is about 50 degrees Celsius or 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So Like 15, 15 degrees difference. Yeah, yeah, or 50, five, zero, 50 degrees mm -hmm. Fahrenheit. Um, out of curiosity for gear, are you guys wearing dry suits or do you have thick no. neoprene? Depends on the time of the year. Yes. Okay. It goes That's from like too. four and a half millimeter uh, wetsuits to seven millimeter wetsuit wet to complete dry suits. Depends on if it's in winter or if it's in summer. Yeah. Okay. Like you so, have to take an account from February on. January, February, when the water is cold, you use that's, a dry suit. That's a bit yeah. the issue in our job as well. Eh? We, so we do what the rescue swimmers do. We go into the water. We go uh, on board of the, of the ship. But if you're like in hot summer, when, and when it maybe becomes almost 30 degrees here, then uh, if you have to work in like in your seven millimeter or in your dry suit, you're sweating. It's like running a, a marathon at the moment. So that's not <laughs> easy. But if you take your four and a half millimeter, which is good for the work on boards and for surface swimming if you have yeah. to go underwater 
it becomes problematic because it will be too cold to do a diving mission. Right. But you can't just say to the to the crew, okay, wait a second, which kind of mission do we have? Oh wait, but what, I will what, take this out of my my uh, wardrobe. Yeah. No, you just choose the suit you leave with and do yes. whatever you have to do at the moment. Wow. Wow. All right, so I, I gotta back up to your case here for a second, Kurt. So let me let me go to the two that were stuck on the buoy. So you were talking about when you say a buoy, you're talking about the shipping lanes yeah, navigation yeah. buoy for the ship. So yeah. and for those people that don't know, they are like eight to ten feet. Um, so about what three meters out of the yes. water, and yeah, they're moving yeah. with the current. They are they are yeah. not standing still. So you hoisted directly to the the top of the buoy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my! You know what? That's mad props to your hoist operator and your pilots. That's that's precision hoisting right there, because that yeah. sucker is moving. Well I'm done. I'm, I'm 100 sure is if the cabin operator will listen to this podcast, he will start laughing right now because it was quite <laughs> a difficult hoisting. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. If you banged off it once or twice, well, you know, our bad. <laughs> <laughs> It worked out quite well, to be honest. Uh, you did That's a good job. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. All right. So now the people that were in the raft. So you've got another, you said, 20 people that are in this little inflatable boat. Oh, yeah, I think it were more like 40, 40 to 50 people. Oh, my gosh. All right. So let's let's go 50 because this is our podcast, your podcast. And you know what? We want to make you like badasses. So 50 people in the raft. <laughs> <laughs> um fighting all over each other you're using a quick strop or a horse collar to get horse them collar. out you stay connected to the hook the whole time to go down and get them is that is that accurate yeah yeah okay I, so not everybody was struggling it were the people who were jumping into the water so the other okay. ones were still attached on the boat and okay. the the coast guard was on their way they were they were there like, like in, in maximum 10 minutes i think they were there and oh, during wow. that time i took out five more persons out of the water all right and other than that did you have to battle anybody else in the water or was it pretty relatively well it's always get... kind of a battle because you have to imagine these guys are are, are they're not tired they're not they haven't been in the water for like hours so they're yeah. they're completely panicked they still have are very strong and the person who thinks he's going to die is a very, very, very strong person. So yeah. it's always kind of a battle because they don't do what you ask them to do, of course. <laughs> they don't my understand money's what, on the, you. what a horse collar is. Right. Oh, my money's still on you. I think you're going to win. I'm just going to throw that out there. If I was a betting <laughs> no, if man, you do, I'm betting if on you. you. Do like, if we train with, uh, with the Air Force for like uh, member crew members who are ditched into the water, we learn them to like the... the, the how you pray, you keep your hands like you're praying. And when yep. you see us coming, just put your hands in the horse car. That's right. easy. That's, that goes very fast. But if you have people like that in the water who think they're going to they're gonna die, they're going to drown, they just want to grab you. That's just it. You are their lifeline. You're their buoy. So you're, you you're just... with that horse collar over there and you just try to get them under their arms. So, yes, it's always kind of a struggle. It's true. That's hilarious. Um, one of the things they teach us in, in swimmer school is if they if you have a panic victim like that, take them underwater because the yeah. last place they want to be is underwater. Do you guys get similar? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So for everybody that didn't know that, yeah, take somebody that wants to drown underwater. They don't want to be underwater, so they'll let yeah. you go. Or that's the yeah. rumor anyway. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's, it's, a, it's a basic lifeguard lesson. Huh? Go nice. underwater with the victim and uh, they'll relax. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, if they pass out, then even better. It makes it easier for you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we can revive them. It's cool. Yeah. Um, it, I, like, all right, so you got five more people out of the water with that one, and then the Coast Guard showed up. Yeah. Where do you end up taking uh, the people that you picked up out of the water? Just back so to the your first, base? The first two with the hypothermia, we'd be dropped off at the hospital. Okay. And the other five, the Coast Guard, when they came, we put them on the ship. With oh, the rest nice. of the of the yeah, we hoisted them on the ship. So we hoisted them out of the water and then hoisted them back onto the ship. <laughs> <laughs> with a horse collar, or do you have a different with a horse collar? Equipment? Okay. Yeah. Do you guys collar. by chance use a rescue basket as well, or just a horse? No, collar? no. We have a stretcher, and we have uh, two kind of horse collars. One which is the normal we all know, the normal horse yep. collar, where you're yep. like um, normal up, and when the other one is a hypothermic strap. Okay. It's when you're horizontal, when you have persons that you can that you can hoist up horizontally without with it's necessary that you immobilize them in a stretcher. It goes yep. a lot quicker. And it's actually very comfortable. So I use okay, so is it, it um I'm actually really curious about this because I, I do a similar technique, uh we a hypothermic lift, but we use two like mm -hmm. two straps or yeah, yes. one around. Okay, same thing. So one around the chest, one around under the yes, knees, yeah. and you're in like a lazy boy position. Yeah. Or a, yeah yes. Okay. Same it's same a thing. brilliant technique. Um, yeah. I wish I could say I came up with it, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Well, man, these stories are amazing, you guys. I I'm blown away by them. Um, I do want to get into a little bit of your training and what you guys go through. And I know I've had you on here for a little bit like already, but if you guys don't mind, just touch on a little bit of like how you train to get to where you're at either, you know, right from the beginning. Well, if you, you can't become a search and rescue diver just by entering the military forces, you have to be in the military forces and then you can, you can put yourself on the you selection can, you list. Can apply for it. Then. Yeah, you can apply for, to become a search and rescue diver. So what we don't want to have, or don't want to have, we don't choose for very young guys, because like we told you before, we also go underwater alone, or yeah. not always, but you can go underwater alone. And when you're on a scene, you become an on-scene commander. So we expect you to have some some responsibility. With other words, a bit of age as well. So yeah. no 20 year old. Uh, and so everybody comes from one order of units. You can say and it's you, no young punks. It's cool. No young punks. <laughs> but if we, first you have to open, of course, uh, the, uh, the selection procedure, which takes about six months. Uh, you can apply and then you have to do certain tests like everybody uh, everywhere has to do medical tests, physical tests, etc. And you, when you're selected, you will have to follow the master diving uh, school in the Navy. So with all master divers in the military follow the same school, either as a uh, private or either as a uh, NCO or officers. NCO and officers do the same training and it's the master diver training uh, school is uh, 10 months, 10 months of uh, becoming a dive master. So after 10 months, you become a dive master. It's not the most easy course. <laughs> yeah, so no. Not everybody uh, succeeds in, in, in that during that course. Yeah, we have to take uh, start every year with 20 guys uh, on the 1st of January. Or the and 
the attrition is certainly a, a dropout of more than 50%. Eh? Wow. Yeah, that so sounds like our school too. Yeah. So Jeez. first you have the selection. That's like the first obstacle. Then you have a diving master school, which is the second obstacle. And then you go to the squadron, the 48 squadron. And then you, uh, you do your search and rescue diver. But the search and rescue diving is not, uh, in doing that course, the diving aspect is not the most important thing. It's working with the helicopter. So also everything the rescue swimmer does is working with the helicopter, assisting the medic, doing every all the, all the hoistings, working with the stretcher, with the horse core in the water from the ship, and definitely uh, evaluating how to do certain hoisting operations. So when you're on board, you will get all different cases. And okay, this is this kind of patient, organize it. He is over there. That's the problem. That's the problem with the ship. This is the problem into the water. Deal with it. So that's another 10 months of uh, training. Holy and if you succeed, you become a search and rescue diver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you succeed, yes. I yeah. like that. Wow. Uh, another side note question, because I know there's there's like the <clears throat> flying and diving, diving and flying kind of rules that your basic rules you, you're following. When you guys do a dive, and I know you said it's shallow most of the time. But when you get hoisted back into the aircraft, is there a minimum altitude that they have to maintain in order to get back to shore or because you've been underwater? Well, they know they have to fly as low as possible. Okay. They will fly, well, within the limits, of course, they will fly the yeah. low altitude flight. Yeah. Ah, nice. Um, are you guys free falling? Do you guys do, nope. or a helo cast? Nope. No helo cast? Everything's hoisted down? Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, just checking. The movie had you guys free falling out of the aircraft. I'm just going to throw that out there. Oh, jumping on the ship? No, jumping like out into the water. Ah, jumping. Oh, jumping. Yes, oh, we yeah, do. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Oh, okay. We, we, okay. we call it a heli jump. Heli jump. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, 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 we do okay. it. Yes, problem. All right. Do you do it with dive tanks as well or just hoisted? No, so, no, no, no. Okay. I just, hey, you never know. Like, I've seen some weird stuff out there. You know, like, no, but right. you have to, you know, the helicopter flies when you jump out of the helicopter. So it's not in a oh. hover state. Oh. If you do that with your diving equipment on, I think they can send another diver to get you out. Of there. That's just, uh, that's really crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If no, you're hoisted I, up, if you're hoisted up from out of the water after a, a diving exercise or mission, it's like there are two cables on your body, one that's pulling you out of the water and one that's pulling you down <laughs> into the water again. It's, it's really tough. It's very, very heavy. Uh, are you guys just had more curiosity as far as gear goes when you guys connect? Cause I, I know like all the rigging, your BCDs and then your tanks on your back, your regulators, um, are you connecting more towards the upper chest or down by the waist when you connect to the hoist hook? Upper chest, upper chest. Upper chest. Yeah. All right, to keep you upright, and that'll keep you as, as upright as possible with all the tanks. Yes, because don't forget, you have the weight of your tanks pulling yeah. on your back. Eh? The lower you, you will go with your connection point, the more you will have the gravity <laughs> that pulls you back. Eh? Yeah. And you're like, you'll be flat. <laughs> Underneath the yes. helicopter, roll into a spin in like 30 seconds. Oh! <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the NH90 already in real. I it have has not. an incredible, incredible downwash. Down yes. 
We, we used to go with a seeking helicopter. We used to, to, to go next to the stretcher uh, during the hoistings, hoistings up and down. Okay. And we don't do it anymore because you start twisting all the time. So now we use a highline. Wow. And because of the damage, it's purely because of the damage of the NH90. Yes. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> wow. I, I'm looking forward to getting on that aircraft at one point or another. It's, it is a beautiful aircraft. I know uh, we just had a guy from France that had come on and he was flying yes. that as yeah. well. Beautiful aircraft. So, um, man, this has been awesome. I, I'm, I've been stoked on all this. Guys, th these stories just have blown my mind. What you guys do in Belgium, I, I just want to come hang out with you. All right. Is that cool? Can I do that? Of course. Sure. Always yeah. welcome. Yes. All right. Can we go diving? I, my wife will not want to go, but I want to go. So <laughs> just, we'll take you, you out just, diving. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's sure, what I'm talking sure. about. <laughs> Guys, I really do appreciate all the information and all the stories today. Um, I will definitely keep in touch with you guys. And you guys are welcome back anytime. I promise you that. Okay. Okay. Jason, thanks. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, you're very welcome. You. Hey, Philip, before I let you go, I, I see you, uh, you You cut off the tip of your finger. What happened to yours? Because I cut Two. mine off too. Two of them. Two. What Two. did you do? <laughs> I, I explained this one. <laughs> I was, it was a shock. Ready, a Get really ready. big shock. And I jammed my fingers into it. I, I wrote on the most dangerous place in the world, your house, your garden. And when I, I was cutting my edge, I fell down from a platform and cut my two fingers with my uh, equipment. Oh, my gosh. Normal, normally, when I, I'm in the, in the pub drinking, I say I was attacked by a shark while doing an <laughs> incredible rescue mission. But then... All people say, no, it's not true. It is from his, his garden uh, cutting his head. Yeah. You know what? We're going to go with a shark story because that's what I tell everybody too. How'd you lose yeah, the tip yeah, of your yeah, finger? Yeah. Shark. Much better. The big Much better. shark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Thanks, guys. And okay. with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.